Hey, okay, pull off or take out all the religious paraphernalia you have on your seat. And if you don't know what that is, you're sitting on it or you push to the side. Um, there's three things here. And before I jump into our sermon, I just want to share this with you and catch you up to speed. Because when I originally talked about these things, which is something else other than this, uh, most of the women were gone because we had a women's retreat. Poor planning on my part. Sorry about that, ladies. Because we all know you hold the checkbooks in your husband, for your husband, so that's fine. Um, so, uh, if you are new, welcome to the garden. My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we are a unique church. There's not a church like us because there's not, no one else but us, right? The church is not this cigar lounge. Uh, it's not a garden institution. It is the men and women who sit here, who serve, who gather in community groups, who partner with us on mission seven days a week that call that make us a church um i want to say that we for the last two and a half years we're coming up on our third birthday three years uh we we've been on a crazy journey um and if you think today's hot in here wow you were not with us when we were in a basement with no ac um and the smell of cambodian food and it's things have gotten a little better but i need to i need to share a little update about some things first of all it's exciting we've been growing that's a good thing for a church uh, two services and it's getting full. The kids' rooms are packed. That's good. Um, we meet in a cigar lounge. We don't own this thing. We rent it. And so with any type of space that comes uh, with some complications, both good things and bad things, some complications involve like kids meeting in a cigar lounge um, and covering up the cigarettes that they sell in the other room where the youth meet, um, as well as just the bar that the, the kids gather in and not a lot of space for all the little ones that are being born like crazy because of you parents. Good work. Um, but we're growing and impacting the city and we need space for them. Um, but our heart isn't to build a bigger church. As a church, our heart is to uh, disciple and to transform the city. And to disciple, you don't really need a sound system or chairs or a cigar lounge or a building for that matter. We actually are all called to do that if you said yes to Jesus. But we've noticed, and I've noticed in my life, that when the people of God do gather together as a church and we create environments for discipleship and worship and for God to move, things happen. Um, I, I've had multiple experiences in my life where I was at a worship service and God spoke to me and I did something in response to His Word. How, how many of you have experienced that in corporate gatherings? Okay, a few of us, or a lot of us, great. So for us, the gathering is an important element of what it means to be the church. And we've tried really hard as a board and as an elder team to um, keep the expenses at the lowest cost as possible. We want to staff, we want to um, resource and finance mission. And that may be hard for some of you to hear, but that's the reality. So we have these white folding chairs. We could buy chairs that are nicer and more comfortable. We can get better coffee makers. Lord knows, Lord knows I tried, okay? I was shut down. <laughs> We can have a better sound system, but our heart right now is like, you know what? This is what God's given us, and it's working. But there's a new season coming. We're trying to look for another facility. There have been multiple opportunities, great opportunities, and we're still in the hunt. We actually have one right now we're looking at, but like all the other opportunities, it's kind of fallen short. But this one looks really promising, but it doesn't matter where we're going right now. We're staying downtown. We're looking for a new space. It's going to cost money, and this is for the garden the gardeners, those that call the garden home, that you, you say, I am the garden, we need extra resources for the space. Um, we, need to, we need to have money to move forward. And so on your, on your chair is just the heart of our, what we're trying to do. Um, I'm not doing a campaign. I, I felt against this, and, and who knows, if we don't raise the money, we won't move forward. But I just felt, I just need to ask the people of God to be generous. I don't need to do a full campaign. We don't need to, do, need to do a teaching series, blah, 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 blah. Let's just invite people to partner in us. Now, we've faced some opposition with that because if I showed you the building and I showed you, um, uh, you know, uh, a picture and what it could be and all the implications, just like if I said, hey, let's support, you know, orphans around the world, you'd be like, okay, let's give. But if I showed you a video and I introduced you to somebody, your heart would be tugged. And you would give, most likely, because we've been trained to give towards outcome with attachments. But I feel as a, as a lead pastor that we need to be trained in generosity. And we don't give towards outcome. We give because God gave. We are generous because he was first generous with us. 
And so the invitation, it's not a challenge, is to give above and beyond what you normally give. Some of you have given generously. Thank you. We are, we are uh, growing that, the amount to put towards a space. Um, but take this, put this on the fridge. Remember to pray for a building, a new space. Uh, take and look. This is a little bit of our heart. Um, you know, just saying what we're about. We want a space for generosity, for creativity, for the city to flourish, to answer some of those statistics. Our city's struggling in many ways. We want to become um, an answer to those prayers. And uh, you can give online or here. So that's that. You, you good with that? That's all I'm going to say today. We'll give you an update in the future. Please give generously. I'm not going to pass the bucket again. Just if you call the garden home, give. Cool? Awesome. I want to pray for us so we can jump into our, our service. Um, and just uh, get ready for whatever God has for us. So if you have stuff on your lap, or if you're bringing in weight of your work week, looking towards this next week or whatever, why don't you just close your eyes and settle in for a moment. I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, we declare you as God. We invite you into our, this space, into Cohiba Nightclub, to minister to the people of God. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you refresh our souls this morning? Give us a peace to um, stay here, to be here, to not be anywhere else. Thank you for getting us up this morning to be a part of something else, something bigger, a bigger story that you are telling. And we give you this time in your name. Amen. Hey, so everyone needs a Bible today. And if you don't have one, that's great. We've got Bibles to give you. So you can raise your hand and we'll pass one out. If you have an, a smartphone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, here's some instructions. I think there are some instructions. You can download the Bible app by downloading YouVersion. It's free. All the notes for, the, for this message are on the live version. We are trying to keep up with technology in the good ways that it's good. Um, but you're going to need a Bible because we're going to go through a text. And um, today, we're going to, rather than just talk about disciplines, we're going to experience the disciplines together at the end. So um, prepare yourselves. All of you, prepare yourselves. Are you awake this morning? I'm energized. I didn't sleep at all. Um, it's too hot, and Long Beach never has air conditioning. I don't know if you suffer with that. How many of you have uh, um, dishwashers? Just curious. Are the rental? No, yeah, only seven of us. Cool. I have one, so I'm blessed with that. Um, I don't know where that came from. I'm okay. So Bibles. We're um, yes. Yeah, so you need a Bible. Raise your hand. Okay. We're in transformational practices. We're looking at spiritual disciplines. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. The aim is to replace old destructive habits of thought with new life-giving habits. We're, we're doing a series um, looking at aspects of life that Jesus practiced, things that Jesus did. And we're trying to encourage those that follow Jesus to practice these disciplines in their lives so that they can become more like Jesus. So that you can become more like Jesus in your life as yourself. That is the goal for these spiritual disciplines. Not that you become somebody else, but that you become fully, fully yourself in Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple, to become more like Jesus. And disciplines are practices. They're like workouts, I suppose, or things that we do, behaviors that we take on to help shape who we are and be, uh, not just our behaviors, but our mindset. Does that make sense? So that's what we've been talking about. Um, we've talked about three disciplines so far. The first one being solitude and silence as one. We're practicing solitude and silence creates space for relationship. Two weeks ago, Bill talked about uh, prayer as relationship. So learning to engage in a conversational lifestyle with God. And then last week, Bill talked about prayer as partnership or prayer as intercession. If you didn't hear this message, you need to podcast it. It was phenomenal. I say it's one of Bill's best sermons he's given here at the Garden. Um, he talked about how do we learn as followers to partner with God in the transformation of systemic evil like poverty over Africa or the systemic evil of human trafficking of children. How as disciples do we develop a rhythm of life 
practices that we can partner with the transformation of those things. That the renewal of the DMV. Amen? Just kidding. I went there this week. It wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. Um, anyways, so how, that's what the, 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 the conversation was. How do we learn to intercede with God and partner with Him? So today, I want to talk about this really exciting subject. And it's called the discipline of reading the Bible. As disciples, one of the most transformational practices we can take on is the discipline of the Word. The discipline of studying the text. And this is going to be a difficult task to keep you guys all engaged. So bear with me as we talk about the implications and the goal of what we want to do here. Because this morning I have one thing to say and then we're going to practice it. The only thing I'm going to share with you is this. I hope as disciples we can learn how to not just read the Bible for information, but hear the Bible for formation. So we want to learn how to engage in Scripture in a way that we hear the spoken word to us that forms our souls, not just to read for information. That's all I want to share with you today, and we're going to practice that. Are you with me? Are we in? All right, here we go. So um, Jesus, first of all, he's the model of this. We see in Scripture that when Jesus is tempted by the devil for 40 days when he's in the wilderness, and he's being tempted, what does he use as his defense? Scripture. He responds to the temptations with quoting Isaiah and other passages of the Old Testament. When he's questioned by religious authorities about his methods of teaching, what do you say about divorce or Sabbath or this, the greatest commandment? He responds with Scripture from the Old Testament. When he's teaching his disciples, he says, well, you've heard this, but I say this. Well, you've heard thou shall not murder. He's quoting the Old Testament and he's interpreting it through his life. When he's on the cross and he's, he's being murdered, he prays a prayer from Psalms that is about intimacy with the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His prayer life becomes Psalms. Jesus is the model for a life that is surrounded or flowing with scriptures. A life of the word. Would you agree? So because that's what he was like, we then practice those things. So the question is, how did he get there? Was it because he was God? Or did he meditate, reflect, read, study, reread, and restudy? And enter into a formative experience with the scriptures of the Old Testament. What would you say? We can't just pull out the God card. Because we know that Jesus was a man and he had to learn. He wore diapers and he ate food. So we engage with the things that Jesus, I don't know why I said diapers, that he did. Alright, so scripture is the word of God. I'm just giving us some, some framework here. It is the word of God into human history. This was not written in a cave by the Holy Spirit. This was not written by a guy who found some tablets and some spectacles and translated. Um, (laughs) This was inspired by God through people that lived and breathed and were on earth. That means that the Holy Spirit inspired individuals in a particular time, in a particular place for a specific purpose. So this is the inspired Word of God. It is alive. It's God-breathed, it says. It's dynamic. It says that in Scripture itself that it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And for our church, it is the final say in all things spiritual. So in other words, when we decide what we believe in, uh, when we decide what type of music we sing, when we decide if we do, why we do community groups the way we do, when we decide what, type, what leadership looks like and discipleship in God, all of it go- comes through the filter of Scripture. So with all of that, how many of us opened our, word this, our Bibles this week? Okay, I want to, real, real honestly, this was great in the 9 a.m. How many of us didn't have time this week to crack open our Bibles? Let's, let's show hands, come on. on just be, if you can confess, it, you may be healed. There's only a few of us raising our hands. Wow, the 9 a.m. was way more honest than all of us. This becomes um, life-giving. 
Um, so so there, the scripture is important. We realize that it's such a big deal, but many of us don't spend time in it. Um, and then the other thing is this, that there are so many ways to study, the, study scripture. Would you agree? Uh, you can study scripture through exegesis. So most of us come here on Sunday with this expectation to be fed, right? I want to be fed. Wow. Imagine if Paul was writing to the preachers in Ephesus, make sure you feed your congregation. I don't think he said that. He talks about growing up to full maturity, to the full measure of Christ, that the body grows up. And some teachers teach. Now, when Bill and I come and teach, we do exegesis, which is the critical explanation, the careful systematic study of Scripture to discover what the original intended meaning was. In other words, we want to know the history, the context. We want to know what the author was doing, why he was writing, to who he was writing, to when. We want to know things like what were the political factors in Corinth, what were the geographical factors in Ephesus. We want to know the literary context. What do the words mean? Is it Hebrew? Is it Aramaic? Is it Greek? How are the words in the sentences? When was that word used in the Old Testament if it's in the New Testament? What's the larger paradigm? Is it, where's Jesus in the grand narrative? These are all the questions we ask every, every week as we prepare for sermons. It's the Bible study. Many of us do this. We love this. We love, we eat up the Greek words when they're thrown out. That's one way to study the text. The other way is to memorize. We get a passage and we just memorize the shortest, shortest verse in John, Jesus wept. Right? <laughs> Got it. I nailed it. That's a verse. I don't even know which one it is, but I memorized it. Um, so we memorize, or we do what I love. It's to inhale. You just read a chunk of Scripture at once. You, you, you are the Bible in a year readers or the Bible in 90 days. You, read, you sit down and you read Ephesians in one sitting. That's a great way to study. You get the big picture. Um, then there's the daily devotion reading where you just read a chapter of a, of a book every day and just read it and you go throughout your day. But how does that become hearing? How does that become formational to who we are? How do we learn to allow Scripture to bubble up in us so that we can be formed by the Word? and interact with it. So it's kind of like this. Husbands, how many of you have been angry and used your anger in inappropriate ways and all of a sudden, as you're yelling at your wife, the verse 525 from Ephesians comes up. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for her. Just convicted with text. Or for those of you that are not married and and you're in a dating relationship and it's late at night and you guys are kissing for an awfully long time and all of a sudden it bubbles up, Ephesians 5, verse 3, let not even a hint of sexual immorality, there must not, e must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or, or greed because these are improper for the Lord's peeper. people. Peeper. No pun intended. You're online. No peepers. I'll keep going. I, I've got plenty of cheesy jokes. Just ask my wife. <laughs> or, or if you are, um, so you're de dealing with temptation and the Ephesians convicts you, or you're dealing with hardship. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. The question of what is next comes into play. You don't know life or death. You don't know pain. From, from anything else. All you see is the, the toil, the ashes of your life that once was. And in the midst of sitting in the waiting room, uncertain of a diagnosis, in the midst of sitting, waiting for the surgery to be done, all you hear over and over is, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You hear Psalm 23 as a reminder of the ultimate reality. Do you have this type of walk? Do you have this type of life with the Scripture engaged? Or for me, this last year, whether you've noticed or not, has been extremely difficult for me. And I've been afraid to share some of this because of the implications. I, when, when Larry died, who was our sound guy, or I'm sorry, our visual guy, set all this up, he was one of the first few that came and said, I'm in on the Long Beach project before we were the garden. There was probably six of us. And uh, he was there every Sunday. He missed less Sundays than I did. And he passed away last year, and he died over a month and a half or so of a brain aneurysm. And 
it was extremely difficult for me. I, I, I had questions. Was I a good pastor? Was I a good friend? Did I love well? Did I, I mean, just, it just set me in. I did his memorial, and I've never done a memorial like that. And it was just extremely hard. It set up this whole new season. And then my wife got sick um, with her heart condition, and that brought a whole new series of questions and doubt and fears. And, and, and then my, friend, um, my friends were going through a, a pretty significant divorce, and I married them. And I'm just level on level on level, and I developed anxiety and panic disorder. I was uh, having panic attacks, and um, all over this last year, I would go to Third Wednesday right after having a panic attack. I mean, it was just nuts. And it was—it's it's been a season of that. And where where's the faith? Where is the the the, the peace that jo- John talks about in the gospel? That he gives us his peace. But here I am, a lead pastor, experiencing nothing but anxiety and doubt and fear. How do I lead people that way? And Bill, in passing, when they said, you should check out Psalm 131, and a couple of, uh, this was a while ago, he, as I sit through all this stuff, this was the one text that I just kept coming back to. I just kept sitting, and I couldn't read chunks of Scripture. I, was, I couldn't do what I was doing in the past. And so God just said, 131, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed myself and quieted my ambi- ambitions. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I'm content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. For whatever reason, that psalm calmed me down. It got me through seasons of anxiety and overwhelming experiences. When I don't know how to pray, I pray the Lord's Prayer. When I struggle with my identity, I read Jesus' baptism. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. This is the formation of we're working towards that in seasons in life our actions as we move forward the scripture bursts forth from us because it's a part of who we are how do we get there that's what i'm wondering today that's what i'm hoping to practice this this afternoon so um so just some thoughts on what i'm talking about the discipline of reading scripture or the word is this it seeks formative engagement with the heart at a level with the text of Scripture by means of the eye, the ear, and the mind. While the exegetical examination of Scripture, Bible studies, that's one component. Spirit-guided reflection on a text is central to being formed into Christ-likeness. We must learn as disciples to move from information to formation, from reading the Bible to hearing the spoken Word of God. The key to reading the Bible is not reading, actually. The key is hearing it. When we are readers, we are inadvertently setting ourselves up as the authority. How many many of you can grasp this? That you you have a plan to read the Bible in a year. And you grab the Bible, you just got to get through it. And when you read it, you assume you know what it means and you have all these preconceived ideas and thoughts over that text based on what you've been taught through history. So just like you would if you're reading a love novel or you're reading Twilight series or whatever, The Hunger Games or whatever it is, you're expecting in The Hunger Games for certain things to happen. Or in Twilight, vampires are real apparently. And you just, you, there's an authority, you give it and you know where it's going and you place, uh, you have critical judgment, you allow yourselves to be critical of it rather than allowing yourselves to respond to it. You allow yourself to be distant. It's something you enjoy, but you control the pace and tone and, and the, 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 whole, the whole deal. But when you hear the word, it's like being in a conversation. You have to respond. You have to engage in a relationship. Now, I know this sounds a bit conceptual and even theoretical. I promise you it will all make sense, so stay with me. Promise me you'll stay with me. So we move from uh, move into when we hear the text a conversation with the author. So many of us we have to learn or relearn how to engage the text when we discipline ourselves to hear the word rather than read the word. So when we do this discipline, it's going to be very hard for us to allow ourselves to go the direction we're going to go. I love what I'm doing right now because I know none of you get it yet, but it's all going to, it's going to be like this mystery box that opens and you're like, aha. It's like trying to learn, uh, it's, okay, so how many of you are right-handed? Disciplines are kind of like this. It's like learning how to do a layup with your left hand. 
when, or try to throw a baseball with your left hand. It just looks ridiculous, right? It's like, have you ever seen someone that's like, what are you doing with your arm? When I was in basketball, they would teach us to, you know, they would tell us, all right, you got to do a layup with your left hand. Here's all the reasons. You know, there's going to be a defender. It's better this way, the angle. When you do a right-handed layup on the left side, it looks, my foot's coming up, but it looks kind of awkward and weird. It just doesn't make sense. But when you do it left, it's perfect. It, it, it makes sense. But when you don't discipline yourself, you won't do that in the game. So they, they would duct tape our arm to our body. Try playing a game, a scrimmage with le- your left hand. It does not feel comfortable, does it? It doesn't feel normal. But then what happens is you discipline yourself and all of a sudden you can't help but do it naturally. Spiritual disciplines. It's difficult at first, but eventually it becomes natural. And we're trying to look at engaging in the text through hearing, through, through learning uh, a new language. Uh, I would say trying to read or trying to hear the text, excuse me, is like learning a new language. How many of you have tried to learn a second language other than the language you've heard? I emailed um, a woman in our church, Amy. She's a speech therapist. And I said, she, she, she helps people relearn their language. And I said, hey, would you just give me elements of what, it, what it's like to relearn a language? What do you need to do to relearn a language or to learn a new language? And this is, I literally... I'm, I'm quoting her. So this is from the garden. Um, she's a community group leader. This is brilliant. She sent me this long email and I just took out the highlights. This is her thoughts. These are her thoughts on relearning a language. I think the first crucial element in learning language is to listen. To be willing to listen over and over again. I want you to think about what we're trying to do with the text, okay? Listen to what she's saying about language. To listen and to be willing to listen over and over again. The second step is to try and to be willing to make mistakes. So just try and make mistakes. Don't worry about it. As you go along, memorization through reading, flashcards, listening to CDs, all those are good tools for foundational learning. However, true learning and carryover, which is the ability to use a skill in various environments, will not occur until a word or phrase or sentence that was memorized with flashcards or listened to on a CD is used repeatedly in an active conversation with someone who has already mastered the language. That just killed, I was like, yes. Who's mastered the language of the text? The Spirit. Who partners with, with us as we engage in the text? The Holy Spirit. So listen and listen. Try to make mistakes, just go for it, read it, and if it doesn't work, it's fine. Engage in a conversation with someone who's fluent in the word. And the last thing she said is conversation is the key in all of this. One more thing to note, language, like most everything else, must be used on a semi-regular basis in order to maintain or continue improving on your ability to use and understand the language in question. So in other words, you've got to do it regularly. I thought that's my message right there. (laughs) Listen, try it out, engaging a conversation, memorize things, and allow yourself to do it as often as possible. Create disciplines. So that's my message. That's it. How do we do this? How do we practice this? So many of us have no idea what I'm talking about still, and that's okay. So today, rather than talk for another 20 minutes, because I know you love me, I am going to share a little bit. Um, But we're going to practice this discipline together. We're going to practice reading the text in a way that we learn how to hear the text in formative ways. So if you would, turn to John 15. And if you're in a hurry and you need to go and you thought the church is only going to last for an hour or for most of us because we got here at 11.15, 45 minutes, um, feel free to go because this is our response time. So this is where we would pull up. We're going to have Pete come up and his band. They're going to play some music, but I'm going to lead us in a, in a devotion. Great, see you guys later. Enjoy. Oh, you're fine. Go ahead. I'm, I'm honestly, this is for those that we're going to, we're going to practice, so this will be used throughout the week. Um, perfect. Let's, we're going to, we're going to do this. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to guide us in something called Lectio Divina. 
It's an ancient church practice for learning to hear the word. Lectio Divina means divine reading. Um, and it was practiced from 3rd century on by ancient church fathers. It was used in the monastic movement. Ch- people around the world do this today. But it's a, a, a way to read scripture. Some of you are like, how do I even begin to engage with the text in this type of way, in just hearing, in relationship, and all of that? And that's what we're going to do today. I'm literally going to walk us through one way that we can read the text in our devotional life. Okay? So, it was actually quite extraordinary in the 9 a.m. service. It was amazing. So if you would, just pull out your Bible, relax. If you need to close your eyes, you can for this first one. There are four parts to this, and we're going to practice three. The four parts are to read, to meditate, and to pray. So what's going to happen is I'm I'm going to talk through what each part is for a couple minutes, and then I'm going to read the text. Eight verses in John 15. John 15, 1 through 8. And uh, in these verses, you, you can have a Bible. I'm going to read it, so I invite you to close your eyes as I read it. And then after I'm done, you can look over the text and begin to read it and meditate on it. So the first part is to read. We're not reading to get through it. We're reading to allow the text to move into us. We're not reading to just get on to the next part. We're allowing the text to just be read over and over again. So the first part, all we're going to do is just read it. Reread it, reread it, reread it. Read parts that stick out. Allow the phrases that stand out to capture our attention. Just pay attention to what's going on as we read. Some people spend hours doing this practice with a couple of verses. We're going to spend about 10 minutes. If you get distracted, don't worry. Just stay focused on the text. So the first part, all we're going to do is read. Don't worry about anything else. So why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to read it to you, and then when I'm done, go ahead and read quietly to yourself. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples.
notice or do you notice how calm the room has, has gotten? How still some of us were able to get? Um, many, for many of us, this is so hard. So hard to be still. That was two and a half minutes. About three minutes from the time I started reading. This is the first part. There are three other parts I'm going to read now, but I just want you to pay attention and be okay with whatever's bubbling up. So if you're feeling distracted and overwhelmed and thinking this isn't working or you're not doing it right, notice that. If you're being distracted by what's coming next in the, in the world and what, what's the lunchtime and all the chores and the, the budgets, notice that. Because those are things that are keeping you from being transformed. And it's not a bad thing, it's a gift to realize those things are in your life. And what does it look like to be a disciple without the distraction? So when we read, we're just opening ourselves. It's centering, it's uh, slowing down, it's allowing ourselves to be still in a life that often is filled with chaos. Um, so we read the text, that's the first part. We just read it and read it and read it. Don't hurry through it. The last thing you want to do is hurry through it. The second part of Lectio Divina is to meditate. And meditation is, uh, for many of us, difficult. We don't fully grasp what we think of it as alm and, you know, hands, legs crossed and all of that stuff. But really for meditation over scripture, it's just chewing on it. It's ruminating over it. It's allowing your mind to drift over the text and focusing on words or phrases. You don't have to read the whole thing over, but allow yourself to, to sit with, what does it mean that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing? Just focus on the, the, the phrases in the text. Meditate on the phrases in the text that, that as disciples, the Father's glorified when we bear fruit and when we ask whatever we wish is given. Just focus on those words. So this next part is meditating. And really, it's just an ongoing process of simply floating with the phrases and letting your mind bounce around with the words that are right in front of you. It's reflective and intuitive. It's not logical. It's not objective. You're not trying to define the terms. You're not, take off your academic hat for a moment and put the mystic hat on. Just allow yourselves to personalize the text. Hear it as if it was being spoken to you specifically with where you're, you're at, with your job or lack of job, with your kids, with your life, your home situation, whatever it is. So let's meditate. I'm going to read it again. Maybe close your eyes if you need to, just so you can hear it. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples.
What are you hearing? What are the words, what are the phrases that stick out to you? Write them down. I'm seeing tears. I'm seeing yawns. All of that is okay. How are you engaging with the words? So many of us, we come to church expecting to be given something. And many of us raised our hands this morning and said, I, I didn't open this thing up. We are slowing down for, it's been eight minutes. Eight minutes. Some of us are hearing God speak to us. Some of us are being encouraged. Some of us are, are interacting with the Holy Spirit because we've just created space to read Scripture together. Husbands, you want to know how to lead your wives spiritually? Practice this. Grab two Bibles and read out loud together. And wait. Read it. And then meditate. Roommates, you want a house that's full of Jesus and you always get excited during seasons and then it just kind of dwindles when school comes. Just get together and read Scripture in a formative way. The third part is prayer. We pray the text. And how do we do that? Well, I think for many of us, we're already focusing in on specific phrases. I shared earlier, apart from me, you can do nothing. What? What happens is you immediately focus in meditation on that phrase, and I immediately go, God, but I can do a lot. (laughs) I'm talented. I could do a lot without you. And all of a sudden, I, I begin to dialogue with God. Where am I doing things without you? And then he shows them to me. And what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to convict gently the life that is without God. Or maybe you begin to say, you begin to pray, Lord, I want this for my life. I want fruit that lasts. I know this is a pruning season. Help me endure. You begin to pray the text, to dialogue with the the author, the greatest author. And you begin to move with the Holy Spirit into a love language. And um, we reflect on it. I, didn't, I said this at the other service, but when we meditate, if this might be helpful for meditation. Um, think of when you're reading the text, when you meditate, as a love letter. Do you read a letter that your lover wrote you in the same way you would read the mail? Or as they reflect on what life was like or life is like with you in a letter devoted, written out of a heartfelt compassion or or eros uh, romantic love would you pause and reflect on the memories they're sharing in letter you would in the same way that's how you learn to meditate maybe that's helpful for some so as we pray into this next thing just take it the next next step whatever phrase stuck out whatever word stuck out just begin to dialogue with god close your eyes if you need to begin to hear what he might have to say to you and i'm going to read this one more time and then i'll close with the last part so we're, we're praying our, our, our thoughts to him. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples.
some of my thoughts are, Lord, I feel like I'm remaining in you and my words, your words in me, but I ask for a lot and it's not done. Why is that? What does it mean to be a disciple? What fruit am I not bearing? I begin to pray this text. What were the things that were coming up for you? How did you hear the text? How were you encouraged through reading prayer or reading meditation and prayer? The last part of this discipline is called uh, contemplation or to contemplate. It's where you simply wait on God. It's where you take whatever is being spoken to you and you sit with it. You allow there to be safe uh, space. You allow it to not just end in the desk at your house or at the dinner table when you're reading in the early morning or at night before bed, but rather you take and contemplate the Word as you go about your everyday ordinariness. As you clean the dishes, as you write an email, you allow these words of God to sit in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You find contentment with the text. One way to look at it, and this is how I've always looked at contemplation is this, or this idea of contentment, is to <clears throat> look, imagine a diner anywhere, a family-run business, a diner, and you're, you're sipping on a cup of coffee, and to your right, you notice a couple that's been married for over 50 years. Obviously, they're old, and they're just sitting there quiet. They're not talking, they're eating their breakfast, they're $1.99 breakfast with a cup of coffee and a look of contentment. And what you see is a shared experience that nothing needs to be said but everything's being said in that silence, in that shared moment, in that complete surrender and contentment because they just love being together. Have you seen that before? Have you experienced that before? That's the fourth practice of Lectio Divina where you learn to bring that word into your life to where it just flows naturally. There's a sense of shared experience with the text and God who's spoken that text to us. It took us um, about 17 minutes, 16 minutes I'd say, to practice. 16 minutes. How do you feel? Some of you are bored. Some of you are ADD like this is not for me. That's okay. <laughs> Some of us just got a whole new tool for our tool belt to learn to be formed by the Word in a way that we've never been formed by the Word. So I want to invite you, for those of you that call the Garden Home, here's the, uh, the response today. Um, would you commit to doing this or reading for 15 minutes three times a week? 15 minutes. Five, I'm not even that. Just commit three times a week. It could be five minutes. It could be 15 minutes. It could be two verses. It could be, it could be a book of the Bible. Would you commit to getting in the Word as a married couple? To getting in the Word as a as a house, whatever that looks like. The, the practice moving forward is: what will you do tomorrow with this? Okay, did you commit? How many committed? Raise your hands. Raise them up. All right, now pull out your iPhone or your calendar. No joke. Pull it out. I don't have mine on me. I want you to put what day you're going to do that in. What day this week? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Today doesn't count. <laughs> and it doesn't have to, it could be two days. Start somewhere. But pick a day right now. Okay, great. You pick, you pick the day. What time? Would you put in your calendar John 15 or... Paul, Ephesians 5, put in your calendar the day, the time, and the verse or the, the book you want to focus on right now. That is your spiritual act of worship. Alright? That is your response to, to this message. To take this scripture and read it tomorrow, or whatever day you decide. So let's stand. We're going to sing. And we'll close. Thank you for being risky and staying with me through that practice. Appreciate it.